Hey, what's up? This is Stephen with Avenue Church. So glad you're getting an opportunity to check out our weekly messages. And we hope that something that you hear will help you experience the life that you were created to live in Christ through experiencing his unconditional love, finding your identity in Christ, and then getting the opportunity and chance to live out your purpose. Um, this message, this podcast is actually a little bit different than what we typically do. We're in the middle of a series called Hope Restored, and we're having conversations with families and individuals from our church who walked through a season where it seemed like maybe hope was lost, but we serve a Savior who is still alive and is involved in our lives today in a very real way, um, restoring hope. And so I pray that you're encouraged by this conversation, and we would love to know how we can pray for you and connect with you. You can text the word Avenue Connect to 97000, and you'll receive a link to let us know those things. Or you can search us on social media, all social media, by searching Our Avenue Church, or go to our website at OurAvenueChurch.com. Either way, we would love to connect with you and hope that this message is an encouragement to you. Enjoy. Amen. Amen. All right, Kenny and Scottina, if you just start just by introducing yourselves, like, like how long you guys been married, how you met, all, all the juicy stuff. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Well, I'm not Kenny. <laughs> I'm going to really try, try with this voice. I'm yeah. really struggling. So um, anyway, we basically have known each other most of our lives. We met in um, uh, what we call Head Start, which you guys now call Pre-K. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we probably were there side by side by side at that point. Um, fast forward, we were um, friends in high school. I actually dated one of Kenny's best friends, so um, we knew each other. We hung out, um, but we, you know, just kind of hung out. We were friends, and then um, I ended up getting married. He joined the Navy. Twenty years later, that didn't work out, so <laughs> I'm going through a process of divorce. He's going through a breakup, and um, you got to stay with me on this one. His aunt was also my best friend's mother-in-law. So my best friend's mother-in-law decided that I needed to be fixed up. And she decided that her nephew was the greatest one ever. So um, anyway, she decided we needed to be together. And long story short, he called, I answered. We went on a date um, December 16th, 2006, and we've been together ever since. Let's go. Yeah, there you are. My way to go, Kenny. How'd I do? You did great. <laughs> you got to hold this up here. Yeah, hold <laughs> Here we go already. Come on. <laughs> Kitty was like, I'm going to cry. I was like, dude, that's okay. You know me. Like, I'm a crier. It's, it's going to be fine. Uh, so, so, Kenny, real quick, your side of the story, like, how did you pursue her? Like, like when you called up, were you nervous? Were you? Uh, no, not really nervous. Uh, not really nervous. Um, I don't know. We just... There was almost, there was an instant connection, and we had that in high school. I mean, we were friends in high school, so it was, um, there was really no... We, we kept in touch through the years, kind of through yeah. his aunt. Okay. He would ask, you know, holidays, did you see yeah. Scott Tina? Tell her, hey, and I was like, hey, how's Kenny? You know, so we kind of, kind of okay. touch base. Okay. Old hats. Old hats. <laughs> awesome. Well, share a little a pair bit. Of house shoes, yeah. <laughs> so, so share a little bit about your faith story, just how you came to know the Lord, church experiences, those kind of things. And Kenny, if you would mind, like you shared some things at our dinner, so I'll let you go first on okay. this one. And uh, well, I actually grew up in church from the time I was real, real little. Um, 
it was a kind of a, it was very, very strict, you know, hell, fire, and brimstone. Okay. Uh, same way, and I'm not saying anything bad about my church or my mom, but it was kind of the same way at home. You know, if you sin, you're going to hell. If, you know, if you steal something, you're going to, you know, you go to the movies, you know. So so very strict, yeah. very legalistic, I think, yeah. the term you can use in, in certain church circles. Like, it was very strict, not heavy mm-hmm. on the grace maybe, but just yeah. very... Um, condescending in some ways. Yeah, okay. and I was, I mean, like I said, I'm not saying anything bad about that. It was, you know, that's the way it was, and kind of the same way at home. You know, if you steal something, you're going to prison, you know, you... Well, I think sometimes you might, <laughs> depending on how big. I mean, I mean, I stole some gum, of, like, when I was younger. Kids, my kids are in here, dang it. I got to be careful what I say. You know, but, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. I think at some so. level, a lot of us in this room maybe have experienced condemnation more than conviction at times, right? I think we could say. Mm. So, yeah. And uh, so anyway, I, you know, I didn't always walk with God, but he never left me. I was thinking about that back there while I go. He never walked away from me. Come um, on. And I struggled with hope and salvation up until I'm in my 50s. Till wow. I had uh, my granddaughter, and I don't know if I was telling Scott Tina, uh, my buddy Nick at work, or maybe it's just me. I, I can't really remember. But until we had my granddaughter, and there was something about, you know, the way I love her, forgive her for anything, you know, if she gets on my nerves or something, it's still it's okay because I, I never love her any less or forgive her any less for anything she does. And I finally made the correlation between that and God, me being his child, you know. So I finally got it, finally got that, figured it out. <laughs> you finally got it. And actually, Kenny was one of our first baptisms way back in 2021. Come on, February 2021, right after the launch, and got to celebrate that with him. That's so awesome. Never, never too late to figure that out, to experience that. Um, Scottina, what was, what was your story? Your faith story. Um, oh gosh, let's see. I um, I've always felt like I've had a spiritual connection always, um, and I just I wasn't raised in church. Kind of a little different story here. My parents, you know, we went to church the holidays, Easter, Christmas. You know, we did those things that families do. Um, but my parents didn't really force church every Sunday or you know Wednesday, whatever. Um, until I was about twelve, I um, had a friend of mine that went to church, a little church down the street from us. I started going with her and. I ended up getting saved, got baptized, and um, I was a, like a, a Stephen. This is, I was a bus kid, and he's like, "What's that?" So you younger folks probably don't know what a bus kid is, but the church van would come and pick me up and take me to church because my parents didn't go, and I had to have a way to get there. I'm only 12, I'm not driving. So anyway, I rode the bus to get to church, and, um, and I mean that was I've always felt that way. I've always had that connection, um, and then you know as the years grew up, I kind of did the teenage things, walked away from God, had my kids, and, and, and knew that I wanted to raise them in church. So that's where I got back, got back to the Lord, got back to taking them to church. And, um, that's how yeah. we met you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scott Tina was a part of the choir and praise team yeah. way back in Adamsville, a little one-stop light. Big old Adamsville. Yeah, massive Adamsville. What was, 
and this isn't a question that I asked you guys, so it's kind of on the spot. Like, what was what what was maybe a key moment, like in your faith walk after salvation? And I know Kenny, you shared yours, like when you realized how much you love your granddaughter. Maybe for you, Scott Tina, what was what was a key moment where you just really sensed um, during that time God's presence, God's connection? Um, I was twenty one, <clears throat> and this is I don't know. I haven't even thought about this in a long time. Um, I'd walked away. Like I said, it was teenage years. I'd gotten married at 18, which don't do that. I do not recommend that at all. Never. Um, got married at 18, and then you know, we were hanging out with, uh, it was actually my husband at the time, one of his cousins, and really close, hanging out all the time. And um, we hung out one night, and um, his cousin left and went home and committed suicide. And uh, it was hard, because you, know, you always think, what could I have done? What could I have said? Um, and at that moment, I realized we had had um, his aunt was a pastor at a, a Pentecostal church, and um, <clears throat> they had been really working on us hard. You know, we needed to get in church. We needed to clean our lives up, do what we needed to do. And that was kind of the turning point where it was like, you know, I, I, can't, I can't live like this any longer. I've got to. That was on like a Friday night, and Sunday I'm at the altar. So that was a complete turnaround. Wow, wow, wow. And then for the next 10, 15, oh, yeah. 20 years, you're serving, yeah. serving the Lord, serving in church. Yes. Um, and you guys have been married how long now? You've been married? Uh, 13 years. 13 years? Right. 12 years. 12. 13. 13 in July. Guys got June. it right. Come on. July. Come July. on. July. <laughs> we missed this last time, too. <laughs> Put them on the spot. <laughs> I, our, our anniversary is June 30th. I made it the last day of November, so I would always remember it's safe. <laughs> What did I say? Did I say November? Thank you. <laughs> Just trying to break the ice a little bit. June, June 30th, the last day of June. All right. So, so what? So I'll never forget. So, so what changed? So you guys have been walking through this season. You've been married for 13 years, and so what? What shifted for you, Scott Tina? <clears throat> well, that's where we met. I don't even know where to start. Let me see. Um, the, the alcohol. I mean, you know, all that coming in. But I, I got to start back, back before that. From 21 to 40. I, I, the, the church thing happened at 21. It's when I really turned my life around. And from 21 to 40, like you said, I was there living for God, raising my kids in church, teaching Sunday school, singing in the choir, doing all the things, you know, you're supposed to do. Um, at 40, I got a divorce. Thank you, Jesus. Um, not yeah. divorce, but that was a good thing for me. Not everybody. Yeah. <clears throat> but got a divorce. Um, and at 40, you know, you start dating. And what do you do when you date? You go out and dinner and drinks. And, um, and so that's what we did, you know. Um, and it was, it was normal for a little while. You know, we, we would go out and it might be every two or three months that we'd, you know, go out downtown. We'd have company come in and have a drink here and there. And... Um, but I knew, you know, still in my heart of hearts, I still knew this wasn't right. This wasn't me. This was not the life I was supposed to be living. Um, but again, just it's kind of what you did. And I drifted. I felt myself drifting, you know. First of all, I was like, one Sunday I'm not going because we were long distance for eight years. I mean, the first four years we dated, I lived in West Tennessee. Kenny lived here. And we'd drive back and forth. So, you know, it became more important, this is horrible, became more important for me to see him than to be at church. Yeah. Um, and that's not a good thing either, but that's the way it was. Um, so we did that for four years, and even after we were married for four years, we still traveled back and forth. You know, I had um, 
my son was there in high school. He was plugged into this amazing youth group, and thank God for these people. Thank God for these people. Because that was the time. When I was walking away, they held on to my children, and they loved them, and they gave them hope, and they gave them Jesus when I wasn't doing it. And that means so much to me. And my kids will tell you that. Logan especially will tell you that, you know, these are the people that he could depend on during that time because there really wasn't me. Um, but anyway, that's kind of the turning point of downhill. Yeah. Now, when we were talking, um, I know you said there was some things that happened during yeah. the course of that time that it wasn't just miss. Like one of the one of the things that, as a pastor, that you learn is that the more that you miss church, the less you start to miss church. If yeah. that makes sense. And True. and I've been doing this long enough where I see this start to happen in individuals and in families to where we start seeing them less and because new things are happening and it's either like new things that are starting to overtake the first loves of your relationship with Christ or you start going through challenges and you're either ashamed or afraid that you won't be accepted during these challenges or um, you start doubting God. And I know when we were talking the other night, you said that there were some things some challenges, loss. just some loss, yeah, yeah. some loss that, that you loss. experienced. Um, yeah. That drinking started to become a crutch more so than leaning into relationship with Christ. Yeah. I had um, <clears throat> my sister, who was my very best friend. <clears throat> I'm going to try to get my voice to come back. It's going to sound really crazy. I'm sorry. Um, but she had leukemia and um, diagnosed with leukemia. Went through a couple of rounds of chemo, um, had a stem cell transplant, um, was doing amazingly well. Um, she came and spent the weekend with me. It was Logan's 10th, 11th birthday, maybe. And she had a son who was a year older, so they'd come and spent the weekend, um, her and her son, to help me with the party and just, just hang out. And we did that Friday through Sunday, and she woke up Sunday morning. She was really, really sick. And I try to get her to go to the emergency room, and she's like, I'm not going to the emergency room, I'm not going back to the hospital, because she spent so much time in the hospital, she just didn't want to go through that again. Um, so she went home, against my better judgment. Um, and uh, Tuesday morning at 2 a.m., I got a call from my brother-in-law, and he said, you need to get your mom, and you need to come. And um, she had gotten septic, and... Um, Anyway, we lost her that night. I mean, that was a hard blow. That, um, like I said, it was my very best friend in the whole world. You know, that's the person that knows you, that knows everything about you, inside, outside, the, the good, the bad, the ugly. But she was gone, and, um, and I felt a lot of guilt over that for a long time. Like, why didn't I make her go? Why didn't I force her to go? But she was, um, I'm strong-willed, but she's got me beat. She definitely had me beat, strong-willed. <clears throat> and that was the first of, of a few losses. Like, <clears throat> three years later, my mom is sick. My mom had chronic kidney failure, and um, she was in and out of the hospital. And I'm the nurse, so I'm the one that stayed with her all the time. You know, she wanted me there with her. <clears throat> I stayed with her the last time she was in the hospital, and 
they were going to let her go home that Saturday. And I had a um, vacation planned. Me and the kids were going to go to Florida. And so I told her, I said, I'm not going to take vacation. I'm going to go with you. You're going to get out of the hospital. I'm going to go home and stay with you next week and take care of you. And she said, no, you're not. She said, you're going on vacation. You're taking the babies. And that's what you're doing. And I said, no, I'm staying with you. And she said, no, you're not. And you <laughs> and listened my, to Mama oh, right. Listen, no matter my mom was get, mom. five foot two, about 115 pounds maybe, but you listen when she talks. Uh, so anyway, I um, ended up going on vacation. And then um, I got a call that Monday on vacation. My mom had fallen and had broken her neck in two places. She is in the background yelling, you're not coming home. I'm fine. And I'm going, what? She's like, no, you're not coming home. I'm like, okay. So I didn't go home. I called every day, and every day she's going, you're not coming home. I'm fine. You're not coming home. And then Thursday, <clears throat> my sister called me, and um, she'd been staying there with mom, and she said, you need to come home. She's not good. And they had taken her down for dialysis, and when she came back up, she was just never the same. I don't know if she had a stroke. I don't know what happened, but um, she didn't even really recognize us after that point. So we drove home that night. We got to the um, hospital at Vanderbilt at like 2 in the morning, and I remember the palliative care nurse coming in and saying, you know, trying to tell me all the stuff of, you need to be prepared, you know, this is what's going to happen, and, you know, just prepare for the worst. And I'm like, you don't know my mother. I mean, she's, she was a strong lady. Um, but anyway, I sat there by her bedside for a week, um, and the following Wednesday, she passed away with me holding her hand. Um, thankful, very thankful I was there for that, but... Another hard blow, and another, um, another what if. You know, what if I'd been there? What if I hadn't gone? You know, maybe she wouldn't have fallen, and maybe she'd still be here. All those what ifs. And, um, so that was another difficult one to deal with. And um, then, <clears throat> 10 months later, in between the 10 months, my dad calls me. My dad has interstitial lung disease. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that, but basically it's like a hardening of the lungs where eventually he's not going to be able to breathe. It gets harder and harder for him to breathe, and um, he was really struggling with everything. My dad was a big outdoorsman, you know, fishing, hunting, gardening, and he kind of couldn't do any of that. He just, he wasn't, he was miserable. Um, and he called me and he said, baby, I need you to do me a favor. And I said, okay, daddy, what? And he said, I need you to pray that I die of a heart attack. And I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> That's not possible. I cannot pray that. And he's like, but I don't want to die like this. I don't want to die not being able to breathe. And I said, um, you know, we're going to pray for God's will. That's what we're going to pray. Um, so 10 months after my mom passed away, my stepmother calls me, and my dad had passed away of a massive heart attack. So um, you know, there was a little peace there, knowing that he went like he wanted to go. But again, that was another loss, and it was just hard. Um, it was like half my family is wiped out in three years' time. So life was hard, very hard. Um, there were, I mean... I guess it had a lot of blame there, and Kenny was, was very helpful during that time or what I'd do without him. But um, there came a point where he finally told me, and this was well after we'd gotten on, I'd gotten on the road to recovery, but he said, you know, you're not God. And whether you'd been there or whether you hadn't been there, it was their time to go, and God knows what's best, and God does what God does, and I, have, I don't have that control. So that was a huge, huge turning point. But um, anyway, I can't forget that part, but... um. After that, also, um, I had a job I loved, 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 loved. I was traveling a lot, loved it, working for Sarah Cannon, regional site manager, traveling all over. It was great. And then the company that I worked for closed that division, moves me into a job that I absolutely despise. 
but thank God they gave me an opportunity. I could have not had a job. Um, so I would come home from work, and I would have a drink. You know, driving in Nashville traffic, if you don't know anything about that. Why you? you get <laughs> home, you're like this. Traffic, like sometimes. Um, so come home, yeah. have a drink, and, and it, you know, it kind of wind me down. Plus, it helped me forget all the other. Also, at that time, Logan, my youngest, is graduating high school, moving away to college, so I have empty nest syndrome at this point. I'm like, I'm always taking care of somebody. I mean, 18, I got married. I've taken care of people all my life. I don't know what to do. Um, so that was, you know, just sad and depressing and lonely. And, um, you know, a drink kind of fixed that, made everything go away. It just made it. For the moment. For the moment, made it go away, yeah. Um, and then it was like, you know, one glass of wine led to two glasses of wine. And it was very normal. That's the part that I, I don't want to miss is how normal the drinking was in the beginning. And then it just flipped. So, you know, Anybody that's drinking, would you know that can happen so quickly before you realize it? Because it was not my intention. Nobody ever wakes up and says, I want to be an alcoholic. It doesn't happen that way. Nobody, you know, just starts out with that goal. But it happens so quickly. And the next thing I knew, I mean, there was like, you know, like I said, a, a glass led to a bottle, led to a box, led to vodka. I mean, it just it was crazy. Wow. Crazy. And, and, and that's how sin works. It was very subtly in the beginning. and. Yeah. You know, James talks about that our desires give birth to sin and sin when fully grown gives birth to death. And in some senses, like that is that was what you were experiencing, not yeah. just like physical death, but just spiritual death and both. Right. Yeah. Long enough. You can experience, you know, experience the physical death with your family and the loss there. Um, Kenny, what's so so you're watching your your wife go down this uh, path that you never thought she would go down, and what are what are you feeling? What are you experiencing during all this? Well, like she like she said, it's uh, it's very subtle, and you know, everything was all fine and good till it wouldn't, and then once she got to the point where. I mean, it was just out of control. I mean, I had no control. She had no control. It was just, it was crazy. And um, the alcohol had had a hold, had gotten a hold of you. So I used, that was what was. We like to go date nights, go travel, and all this stuff. And I was, I was telling somebody a couple days ago that you know, I have to call her at 7 a.m. in the morning to try to catch her before she's drinking, see if she wants to go out that night on you know Saturday or whatever. And it was just, it was. We didn't go out a lot. No. Yeah. And then um, the turning point really came uh, a few years into this. Um, I'd gone to the store, came back, and uh, she was in the kitchen unresponsive. And I ended up having to call the ambulance, get her to the hospital. I didn't even know she'd been drinking. Um, oh, okay. She'd been drinking since like Thursday. I didn't okay. even know. This was Sunday. This was Sunday. Thursday to Sunday. Okay. Wow. And um, anyway, got her to the hospital, and doctor came in. And again, I, I had no idea. Uh, doctor came in, and he's like, you know, I don't know why you're here, why you're alive, but you shouldn't be, and you need to figure this out because her blood alcohol is like point five four, and. That was almost double the lethal dose. And um, so it was just, I mean, it was just, uh, 
I was completely lost. I had no idea what to do or how to do it. Now, now was this the instance, because was this the instance where when we were talking the other night that you decided that you wanted to end the marriage and the relationship, or was there was there another time after that? It was it was pretty much right after that okay. because it, it got to the point uh, where I felt that um, there was no way that I was. I mean, I couldn't live every day coming home, being at work all day, and coming home afraid that I was going to find her dead. So. I mean, that's why I talked to the Lord. One of the things he said, he's like, I can live with coming home knowing my wife's going to be drunk, but I can't live coming home expecting her not to be there, right? And I can't, I can't imagine feeling that as a husband um, and then making the hard choice. Like, that's hard love. Like saying, I've got to get her to a place to where she re- reaches rock bottom, but that wasn't rock bottom. Not yet. It was, it was close. It, it wasn't there. Um, and so did you go into, um, treatment after this time? And I don't remember in the story. Was oh, it? as crazy as it sounds, <clears throat> two weeks, two weeks later, for those of y'all that don't know anything like 0.35 and above is considered a lethal dose of alcohol. And I was at 0.548. So, I mean, basically I should be dead. It is absolutely the grace of God that I'm alive to tell this story. Um, and I'm thankful for that. Um, but in the insanity. And for those of you that are familiar with any kind of addiction, it is absolute insanity. You can't explain it other than that. Um, two weeks later, I'm drinking again. Um, but I'm going to control it this time. You know, I got this. I'm going to control it. I'm going to start. I'm, I'm not only going to drink on the weekends. So I'm just going to drink on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then all of a sudden, the weekend starts on Thursday. And the weekend doesn't end until Tuesday. And before you know it, it's... The weekends get longer and longer longer and longer. And before you know it, I'm drinking every day again. And it's crazy again. Um, He's already at this point talked to a lawyer about, you know, how we end this thing and how he keeps, you know, me from losing everything we own, either in an accident of killing myself or killing someone else, um, and how he doesn't come home and find me dead. But um, after that... Um, oh yeah, after that, I didn't go to treatment yet. That was in March. April was Logan's birthday. Um, so I called Logan and I'm like, hey, why don't you and Trixie come? That's my daughter-in-law. So why don't y'all come to Nashville and I'll take you to dinner for your birthday and we'll celebrate, blah, blah, blah. And um, while they're on the way there, naturally I start drinking because that's what I do now. Um, by the time he got there, I don't, I don't really remember the visit. Um, we did not go to dinner. Nothing happened. Um, I don't remember much of that, but I know we talked like the following Tuesday. He called and we're talking and I'm just like, hey, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And he said, mom, you don't remember. And I said, remember what? And he said, you don't remember not taking me out for my birthday. And um, that was a defining moment. That was when, um, if you know me, you know my children are my life. I realized how I had let him down. It crushed me. I mean, that's like mother of the year. I mean, that was, that was horrible. So right after that, I did go into treatment. for the, the. I've been to a detox before, and, you know, I thought that's all I needed, a detox, and I'm good. But it's so much more than that. Um, but I went into treatment. I spent 30 days in a treatment facility. I was there for Mother's Day. 
um, which was very hard, but, you know, both of my children, this is where they wanted me to be for Mother's Day, so that made it okay, you know. Um, but I went through that, and, and it was good for a little while. Maybe four, six weeks after treatment, um, we have my brother and his wife at their house for the holiday. <clears throat> I think it was Memorial Day, maybe. And um, I decided I could have a glass of wine because I can do this now. You know, I've stopped. I've been stopped for six weeks. I'm good. Um, but that glass of wine led to two boxes of wine, two boxes of wine over the weekend. I remember coming to my senses, and he's packing a bag to leave. My brother and sister-in-law are leaving. They don't even know what to do because I'm just a wreck. Um, and it was just it was a horrible, horrible experience. Um, luckily, he stayed. I don't know why, but he did. Um, so there were so there were all these consequences, like oh, just yeah. ups and downs. You yeah. get clean for a little while, and that's how sin works. That's how yeah. addiction works. Is you try to do it on your own will, your own strength, and our strength and our own personal will can only take us so far. Um, but there, there, there came a defining do or die, this is it kind of moment that, that shifted in to where you're at now because you've been sober now for over four years. Let's go. Come on. Come on. Um, and, and Kenny, you, you made it, you made a decision for her that, that really was a hard line for her. And towards the end of her treatment and, and, um, getting healthy again, you said, I don't want you home for a year. Right. And so she had to go live at a sobriety living home. This was this was after treatment, after another after another detox, right? Yeah. And then after treatment. There's another detox in between there. Yeah. And then after that other detox, a lot of stuff happened. I ended up losing my job of almost, um, thir- well, actually 13 and a half, almost 14 years. Had a great job, great pay, great benefits. Um, I did a lot of traveling. 75% of the time I was traveling and I was in airports and hotels, and that's the worst place an alcoholic can be, just so you know. Airports and hotels are horrible. Um, So anyway, long story short, ended up losing my job because of my alcoholism. That was one of the most humiliating moments of my life. I've never been terminated, ever, ever. Um, So that was kind of another, the big shift, big turning point where I was, you know, he's like, you got to do something. This is it. Um, so I went to treatment, um, Cumberland Heights, in Nashville, amazing place. Um, after that, when, when I was going into treatment, we were having this family counseling session, and this is when he says, you know, I love you, and I'll be here to support you, but you cannot come back home until you figure this out. Um, and that's hard to hear, but it's what I needed. You're yeah. staying. Come on. Come on. Sometimes saying no is the best thing that we can yes. say, and putting up boundaries is the safest thing that we can do um, in our lives, but also in the lives of those that, that we care about. So, so you went and spent a year, a, a year, no, it, we, got out, uh, we got out early for good behavior, yes. right? So yes. it wasn't quite a year, yes. it was six months. Yeah, we went, I, I agreed to stay in sober living for a year. <clears throat> um, he was amazing, amazingly supportive, um, you know, was there all the time, just... You know, I, had, I mean, I'm 52 years old and I have a curfew and um, I have, you know, have to make seven AA meetings a week and I have to house them. There's just all these rules and regulations, which is great because I needed that. I needed to learn how to live in the real world and not drink. 
And going, going home didn't work. We'd figure that out. You know, I'd been to treatment a couple times. I'd go straight home, and it was, boom, right back to it. I needed to learn some stability and some accountability. And that's what Sober Living did. So I stayed six months, and we agreed. I had a sponsor at this point. Um, so my sponsor and I talked, and Kenny and I talked, and we agreed that it was good to come home, and it was. It was we, we were good. Um, but it was a, it, it was a life-changing experience for me. I, I know Sober Living saved my life. No, not a doubt in my mind, along with him and along with God. And it had to be extremely humbling, like oh, you're saying. Absolutely. Like I couldn't imagine. 52 with a curfew. 52, and you have to be home by a certain hour. 10 o'clock. And ten, wow, 10 o'clock. 11 on weekends. Wow, okay. Okay, so six months in this. Kenny, what was kind of going through through your mind in those six months while she's there? And you guys are getting to see each other? Like, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I could go home and okay. like the weekends. Every other weekend, I could go okay. and stay like one night at home. So yeah. two nights a month, I got to stay at home. That was it. Okay. Um, I was I was really just, you know, let's see what happens here. Because like I said, we've done been through uh, rehab three times, been... You know, two or three. Um, hold uh, hold your mic up. Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> uh, we've done been in rehab three times. Uh, you know, uh, detox. I don't know, two or three times. And so I was just kind of, you know, just sitting back, watch and see what happens. Uh, I, I didn't have. I didn't know what was going to happen. So we know God's hand was on you through all of this. You could have died with the alcohol level. And then, you know, some of the other things that you shared in our conversation the other night where you were not sober at work and just doing other things that we don't have to share here, but God's hand of protection was on you. And so as she's sharing this, like we're, we're getting to see this side of it, right? We're getting to see this side of it. But while they're in the middle of it, they don't know this side of it. Right, they don't, and, and that's how life is. When we're in the middle of our valley or when we're fighting, we, we know, we talk about God causes all things to work together for his good, but in all reality, when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't feel like it's, it's true in the moment, right? I remember, <clears throat> I don't want to forget this part, but I remember, you know, being at home and drinking, and I mean, the drinking would start at 5.30 in the morning, I literally waited to hear him pull out of the driveway so I could start drinking. That was my life, and that's horrible, but that's, you know, it comes to a point you start drinking, and it's yeah. like to relax yeah. and for fun, and then it becomes, you know, daily, and then right. before you know it, it's, you have to. At that point, it's not that I wanted to drink, and, and just, you know, no addict or alcoholic actually wants to do these things. I was miserable. I mean, I would wake up shaking and anxious and, and just sick. And I knew that a drink was the only thing at that time that would, I thought would make it better. Um, but I remember, you know, in our living room, he'd be upstairs in bed asleep, and I'm at 2 a.m. drunk, just crying out to God, please don't leave me here. This is not who I want to be. This is not who I am. It's not who I want to be. It's not where I want to be. Um, and, and now I know, you know, at the time you kind of doubt, but I know God heard those prayers. I know he heard everyone. And like Kenny said, I walked away. He never walked away from me, ever. Never took his hand off of me the entire time. Um, you know, and like I said, the, you know, now to see what God is doing, there's a point where I realized that <clears throat> as horrible as it was, I'm grateful. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm so grateful because had I not gone through what I did, 
I wouldn't be able to help other women. I wouldn't be able to help other people realize that there is hope. There is a way out of this. You don't have to live that way. Yeah, come on. Um, it's just amazing what God can do. And so you're you're not only, and we'll talk about the recovery home that you guys, but you're also working at oh, yeah. one of the clinics yeah. as a nurse at one of the clinics yeah. that you receive treatment in. Yes. And that's by choice. Like yeah. you don't have to. That's by choice because of what you experience there. You want to share with right. with other when I was still, I was there. still in sober living, and um, I applied for a job <clears throat> working at a detox center. The job required one year sober. I had four months. They hired me anyway. Come on. That's God. Come on. <laughs> uh, Come on. And then after that, I worked there at this one. But then I was, we were, I mean, needless to say, treatment is not cheap. <laughs> We were making payments. This is my fun part. We were making payments to Cumberland Heights where I went. Um, we made the, I made the last payment to Cumberland Heights August of 2020. I went to work for them September of 2020. Oh. So when I quit paying them, they started paying me. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> and, and they paid you probably more than you oh, paid yeah. them. Oh, yeah. They're still paying them. That's still the, listen, there. listen. Come on. Yeah. Take, go back to the enemy's camp, right? Come on. Take back what, Take stole back what he stole from me. Let's go. Okay. So, so you have since she is Kenny and Scottina have opened the first of what will probably be, I believe, many um, residential uh, sober living communities. And so, you opened uh, Beacon Beacon Recovery, Beacon Recovery um, Residential. Beacon Recovery Residences with an S on the end with for an, plural. Plural. Let's go. Not just one. Not it's just two. Faith. Come on. Um, come on. Yeah. Let's give God a hand clap on that. So. Um, and I, I believe second service, there will actually be a couple of residents, a couple of her girls are going to be here second service, and so we're going to get the opportunity to pray, to pray over them, and actually a couple that attends this church also helped do, or pretty oh, much God. did They're most amazing. all the interior work on it as well, and um, even as a church, we provided uh, mattress covers on yes. all the beds that have Psalm 4-8 um, on the feet of all the bed that says, uh, I will lay down and rest in you, Lord, for you are my refuge, so that they are sleeping on God's word. And, and the and, ladies love that. Yeah. And uh, so tell us just a little bit about the passion that's going in behind that. And, you know, I, I know everything that you experience now that, like, you want to uh, help other ladies and other families walk through the journey and come out stronger just as you yeah. did. I mean, you know, it's like, I, like, we said we want to take what what God has literally tried to destroy me with, and use it for God's glory, and and that's where Beacon comes from. I know how huge it was for me, um, and you know when I was looking for a name for Beacon Recovery, I was trying to find. And we we I, the ladies praying over what I named this place. I don't know, and there were several that came up, but um, the one that stuck out was Beacon because I was searching, and I'm like, you know, I wanted it to be something that meant something. Um, so I found the. the Word beacon, I was looking it up and like how the dictionary describes it, but one of the sentences says, I see a beacon as a person who shines her light and in turn inspires, guides, and brings hope to others. So that's where the beacon came from. Come on. Come on. But in putting the, you know, the first house together, it was crazy because I know a lot of you ladies remember you were praying over this house. Stephen and Jennifer went by a house we were trying to buy. We tried to buy, we tried to Build. We talked about everything of how we want to do this. And for, I mean, this was a dream for three years, you know, or for almost three and a half before it came to fruition. So um, lots of prayer went into it and over it. Um, but the good part is God always knows. 
Best. Oh, I remember you'd be so frustrated because they would have land and to try to get the land to perk if you know anything about building and to get a septic system and everything. It was going to cost, like for one of the pieces of land, it was going to cost like $90,000 before they even started building the house. That was that was just the sewer system and getting the land ready, $90,000. There was a point where I was like, God, I'm done. This is not going to happen. It's all my flesh. It's not you. Um <clears throat> And we had um, we owned some rental properties. We had one of our duplexes that was there, and one of the the couples that were in one of our duplexes one side of it, they called and she said, "Hey, we're moving out." And um, we had talked about it at one point about maybe using one of the duplexes as a sober living, but and then we were like, "Nah." Um, but at this point, it just I was like, "You know what, God, this is it. This is it." So we um, we started with the one side of the duplex, and um, I didn't mention is that property is now debt-free, so we started debt-free. <laughs> you know, we were going to go three, $400,000 in debt to do this, but God had a much had a better plan. Much better plan. Much better plan. Um, so anyway, this, so that's what we did. We opened the side. We filled up in a matter of weeks. The house was full with them because, we, like I said, we started small. Um, we're now in the process of opening the other side of the duplex within maybe the next two to three weeks. Well, have the other side open. So another four beds. Four, another four, four beds. beds. Yeah. So eight total. Yeah. And so yeah. we're already reaching that plural, right? Residences. Yeah. Residences. Okay, we're going to work on hopefully the next Another house. one. We'll start yeah. moving forward on the next one. If if you could give, and, you know, we don't know everyone's story in here. And, you know, this isn't just about alcoholism, right? I don't, I don't want you to hear that. Um, but we all can find ourselves in places to where we don't know that there is an out. Like we, we think that whether it's an addiction, whether it's a situation, it's loss. We find ourselves in that um, and we don't know how we can come through that. And so our, our heart for this story is for you to see that God can really use like the, the worst, the loss, the addiction, the darkness, the almost divorce. He can use all of that to spark something on the inside of you and, and I, um, not just to restore hope in us, like in our lives, because this is great, like, but to restore hope in other people's lives. And so that's what I want to ask, like, if, if you could give any of us like a word of encouragement or advice, um, what would it be from either one of you guys? Kenny's a man of few words. Yes, yes. Um, just never give up. There's hope. Always hope. Yeah. Always. Whether it's for you or whether it's for a loved one, you know, this man. Should. Yeah. He probably should. But he never left. And just like God never left, he never left. And I don't know, you know, I've actually said, I don't know if I could have done the same. But I have no doubt it loves me. Um, so never give up on that loved one. Hang in there. Um, God can definitely work a miracle. Absolutely work a miracle. I had to stay. I've been crushing on her since high school. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I won. I'm not letting go. You know, and you said something, and we didn't talk about this, and just now hit me like you said something at the beginning, Kenny, that um, growing up you didn't experience God's grace a whole lot. Um, it was legalism and condemnation, and 
And a lot of times, and I don't want to speak ill of any church because a lot of times that can come from a very like good place, like good intentions, right? It can come from a place of good intentions of trying to protect and guide and guard and those, but the repercussions can, can be hurtful at times, right? Um, but for him to understand grace from the perspective of his granddaughter and saying that how much I love and forgive her, um, I now know and understand that's how much God loves and forgives me. And I've, I believe that you experiencing that gave you the grace and the compassion to stick with her in the shallow and the shadow moments. And when we can understand God's love for us and compassion for us, um, it multiplies within us for other people. Um, and so I don't know even where any of you are at here um, in your walk with Christ, um, in your relationship with him close or far away and um, maybe walked away. Just know that God's compassion for you is so great, that his love for you is so great and what you could ever, ever imagine. And Avenue Church, I want us to be a place where people can experience that. Um, but then at the same time, I want us to be a church that celebrates the goodness of God, that even in the darkest moments and in, in the worst of seasons, we have things that we can point to and people that we can point to. Saints, believe it or not. It's, it's like I was having a conversation with another uh, person and Scottina was like, you're, you're, you're the hero of your story. I'm the villain. No, God's the hero of every story. And he's the hero in your story, guys. Um, and... And uh, I just want to pray over them. Can we do that? Um, let's just stand up together. Let's stand as, as we kind of wrap up. And Jennifer, if you would, would you come up here? And we're going to pray over them. And next service, I'm so excited. We're going to get to pray over um, some of the ladies that are, that are in their, their um, home right now. Uh, and then also, I want to say this. If you're here today and you have struggled with addiction... Um, you have a family member that has struggled with addiction or, or is walking through a season that seems really hard, I know Kenny and Scottina would be more than happy to pray with you and, and give you any information to help you take that next step. So if you would, just stretch forth your hand. We're going to pray over them. So Father, we just thank you so much, God, for your goodness and your mercies that are made new each and every single morning. God, we thank you that you never give up. We thank you that you draw us close. <clears throat> God, I thank you for the work that you've done in Kenny and Scottina's life. And now their story, their testimony points to your goodness and is bringing hope because you are the God of hope. And God, I pray that you being the God of hope would just fill our lives overflowing with joy and peace and even a greater hope. God, that your anointing would rest on this couple. God, that doors would just continue to open. God, that multiplication would begin just to continue. God, continue to take place. That not just two homes, but three homes and four homes, God, where other women can find safety and find peace and find love and find acceptance. God, encouragement and direction as well. And so, God, I just pray for anyone in here today that is maybe in that season of loss um, and loneliness and misdirection, God, that you would allow them just to see you right now in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their struggle, and knowing that you are there. And God, I pray that you would give them the boldness and the courage, God, to take that first step, that step towards you, that step of reaching for help, of asking for help, God, of seeking forgiveness, but then also finding themselves in a community and in relationships with others um, who care about them and trust you 
um, in that process. And Father, we thank you. God, if there's anyone here that does not know you, let them say, Jesus, I give you my life. God, it's not all that's going to be said over a lifetime, but it's the start of an everlasting conversation. God, we just thank you for what you've done and what you are doing in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen, amen, amen. Love you guys.